transitioning, turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter... Exodus chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen here for us. But we're going back to our study in the book of Numbers. But I want us to, I want to kind of intro in with this verse. As Numbers is kind of a, a more detailed explanation of what we read here. But these verses is really what I want us to kind of lean in with this morning as we see what God has for us as individuals today. So starting in verse 43. It says... There I will meet with the people of Israel. And it shall be sanctified by my glory. He said, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, Aaron also and his sons, and I will consecrate to serve me as priests. Verse 45. He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we just thank you. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. God, we thank you for the freedom and the opportunity that you've given us to come and to worship you and to, God, to just lift you up. And God, we, this is such a small token of our love for you, but God, I, I'm thankful that you give broken, desperate, sinful man like us the opportunity to come before your presence and just enjoy you. God, to be moved by you, to be motivated by you, to be convicted by you when we need to be. Father God, I pray that you just bless this time. Lord, open our hearts and minds to your word. God, let us see who it is that you are and what it is you do for us. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So church, like I said this morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Numbers. And, and you know, just to kind of update us on where we are, I know it's been a, a few weeks, but we started this study in the book of Numbers, which like we said in the beginning, if you're doing like a Bible reading plan, this is where you either bow out or you skip. Uh, just because a lot of the beginning of it is a lot of names, a lot of lineages, a lot of different things like that. A lot of numbers, right? Book of Numbers, it's a lot of numbers. A census taken several times. But what the uniqueness about this letter or this book is that it's written kind of bridging the gap of what the people of Israel are doing during the 40 years of wandering, moving towards the space, the promised land that God had told them. And so there's a lot to learn here about what it means to be built up, as we've said, growing up, kind of being molded into the image that God wants us to do, the instruction that we need, the encouragement that we need to be the people that God has called us to be for them. God is molding them into people that are ready for his promises. And for us, as we've read through the book of Numbers, our hope and prayer is that as we read through the book of Numbers, we can be molded in that same way to be prepared for the promises that God has, to embrace the promises that he's already given us, to step into the, to the uncertainties ahead of us and, and taking the, the role or the responsibility responsibility that God has given us in the spaces that he's blessed us with. You know, whether it's parents, husbands, wives, whatever space that's in, that God has placed us in a very unique space to do something, to be present, to be active in that space. And so a lot of that is God is preparing his people. You know, he's telling them here in the book of Numbers, he's giving them instruction. He's being very detailed. That's why a lot of times if we're reading through the book of Numbers, we tend to tap out of here because there's a lot of detail. There's detail after detail after detail, historical detail, numerical detail, all these details, but it's for a reason. 
Because God is, is molding them into something. And he's using that. He's using God's word in this instance for us too. And that's what we've hoped to see from this. And, and, and I wanted to start in Exodus because the end of Exodus 29 here is where it kind of, and it kind of bridges into where we are in Numbers because in Numbers he gets a little more detailed. And there's some other spots where he talks about the things that we see here in the book of Numbers 28 is where 28 and 29 are what we're going to cover today. But what we see him talk about is we see him talk about offerings. We see him talk about feasts. We see him talk about festivals. And so for, for, for us, as we read that, it seems very disconnected from us. You know, like if we were to go to Numbers 28 and 29, we see daily offerings where it talks about giving of grain, where it talks about our, the sheep, where it talks about hen. It talks about all these things, uh, burnt offerings, atonement offerings, you know, and it goes through the, these different feasts and these different offerings, all these things that seem very disconnected from us, but there's a reason. And there's a reason, and I think in our process of spiritual growth as, as young people, as older people, as we navigate as students, as kids, whatever it might be, that there's this realization that we have to come to when we understand the instructions that God gives us and the, the, the specifics of how God calls us to move and to navigate the space of our life is to remind us of something. And I love how in Exodus 29, when he's ending that, after he's talking about these offerings and these feasts and all these things, that he says, he tells them, there I will meet with my people. There I will meet with my people. He says, I will meet them. And he says, I will dwell among them. I will be their God. There's this sense of ownership. There's a sense of participation. And that's what God, when he lays out things for us, when he kind of lays out our instruction, our call to obedience, it's not just for the sake of doing, but it's for us stepping into spaces to know and be reminded not only about who God is and what God has done, but where God is. And where God is is among his people. God is in the midst of our lives. He's in the midst of the spaces, the greatest spaces we navigate to the worst spaces that we navigate personally. God is there. He's present in those things and he's navigating that space with us. And so when God begins to lay out instructions in, in Numbers chapter 28 and 29 for these offerings and these feasts and these festivals, it's this reminder. It's meant to be a reminder, not only reminders to centralize their community around God because that's what he was doing. He was kind of getting them ready as they're navigating this wilderness space and centralizing himself within the context of their community. So they're doing these things to centralize God to their community. But not only that, but also of visual remembering and practicing. You know, and this is something that for us, especially in our day of age, is starting to kind of slip away because a lot of what we practice as Christians is very vocal. It's verbal, right? Like we, we talk or we sing or whatever. But there is, for them, there was this very visual element of the work God had done and the work God was doing that they were actively participating in. And I think for us, you know, as, as we navigate that, a, a worship for us that is highly verbal, there's this very visual. And I think there's a sense of encouragement about that. There's a sense of communal encouragement. There's a sense of evangelical encouragement as we share the gospel with people around us. This reminder about what it means for our faith to be visual, 
for our faith to be seen, not only spoken, which is, is, is unbelievably valuable, and it is of the utmost important. I mean, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, by hearing of the word of God. But there is also a visual sense where we participate in worship. We participate in our Christian walk outside of this place, in the spaces we walk, in the, the areas that we navigate in life. And so why would he need that? Why would they need, when he's speaking this in Numbers 28 and 29, he's given the instructions, you know, and I'm not going to read specifically through all the instructions. You can go back and read uh, a lot of these things because it's a lot of kind of building on uh, small offerings up to bigger offerings and, 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 and all these things that, that I encourage you to go back and read through. But there's a point here that I want us to get is that. The reason that their worship and these, these things that they were doing were very visual is because he's speaking to a new generation of people here. Remember? Remember the first generation that entered the wilderness? God said, you're not going to see it. Everyone except for Joshua and Caleb. No one else is going to make it in. Well, So now they're at a new generation near the end of their 40 years of wandering. Remember after they crossed the Red Sea, Moses led them out of Egypt. You know, God led them out of Egypt using Moses. They, they get into the wilderness and they're navigating the wilderness. 40 years. They're at the end of that 40 years now. So it's a new generation. So God is repeating these visual uh, commands. that They participate in these things to remind the new generation of who God is and what God has done. Listen, in a lot of these things, and we're going to see, we're going to see weekly, monthly, yearly, several yearly things. It can become very monotonous. But there's, there's a kind of a... Uh, uh, an importance to the monotony. You know, and we can find even attending church very monotonous. We can find our, our devotion very monotonous. We can find things that we do very monotonous. But it's just like for God communicating to the people these things that they needed to do, there's a purpose. There's a value. And so it's not only a visual reminder and an active reminder built into their calendar to remind them about who God is and what God has done, but it's a visual representation to the people around them and to the next generation of these habits, of these things, these steps of obedience that draw them into a mindset of understanding and knowing who God is. And so for us, I believe that the building up that we can see from this portion of the book of Numbers is God showing us that in all of the regularity and all the, 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 the routine of what our Christian faith can become, that we never lose sight of what the purpose of it is, what the purpose of church attendance is, what the purpose of worship is, what the purpose of standing and reading God's word together is, what the purpose of praying at the dinner table is, what the purpose of praying in our personal life is, what the purpose of reaching out, like Garen talked about earlier, what reaching out to other people and encouraging them, the purpose of those things that can feel very monotonous and very kind of routine, God tells us that those very things that are embedded into our routines are meant to point us to God and to show other people who he is. And we can't can't let ourselves forget that. And so there's a couple of things here that I want us to see. There's, there's uh, three different offerings that are talked about that we'll focus on. And then there's uh, a couple of, 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 of other yearly things that we'll kind of touch on. But I believe that within this, we can kind of see a context of invitation for us and some, some roadmap for us of how we navigate our own lives and how we kind of build up from where we are spiritually. Because we all need that. We all need to continue building. We all need to continue moving. In this life, we never reach the perfected level that we would hope to, to reach. No, our, our life is a constant state of moving. 
Okay, and, and the Bible even tells us that the righteous, those who put their faith in Christ, they may, fall, they may stumble seven times, but they get back up. And so, but it's always this process of movement, building up, moving forward. And so that's what we're learning here. And that's where I hope that we can find some encouragement from the way that it is written here for us to see. So the first offering that we see in Numbers 28 is we see a daily offering, a daily offering in Numbers 28, verses 1 through 8. And so... As if you were to read that, you would see how God kind of lays out. He says, he says, my offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at this appointed time. So he says there's a specific time. There's this kind of routine that we're going to implement into your day today as you offer, as you make offering to God. This, this, uh, their offerings are kind of our worship, you know, kind of looking at it like that, but... So he, he begins to speak about this and begins to lay it out. And he even begins to lay out some times. He talks about the morning and he talks about an offering in verse 4 that you shall offer at twilight or at night. And so he's speaking of a daily offering. And for us, you know, kind of finding some personal application with that. What is the purpose of a daily offering? Well, this daily offering speaks of a personal relationship. It speaks of a constant unbroken fellowship. And for them to constantly remember, you know, when, when he was giving them the manna earlier on uh, in, in the book of Numbers, when he was giving them the manna, you know, or in Exodus, he, he said, you just get enough manna for today. Just get enough for today. Don't get a bunch to store up. Like, just get enough for, for today. Why? Because God was conditioning them to depend on him daily. Don't depend on yourself. Don't think you can store enough. Don't think you can have enough. But that daily offering was meant to be this rhythm that would be built into their lives to be constantly coming back to God. This constant dependence. This constant renewal. This constant engagement. You know, because you think about it, the closest relationships to you in your life are the relationships that you engage with daily. I mean, that makes so much sense to us. But then when we navigate our Christian lives, we, we begin to navigate spaces where we feel as if our relationship with God is distant. And if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm, I've even navigated this in my life here recently, trying to fight through, like, why do I feel like this? And then remind myself, well, it's because your relationship with God is distant. It's not daily. And we desperately need that. Because if we're not coming back like they would come back, that constant dependence, that constant unbroken fellowship, if we're not there, we're going to feel that with something else that we're finding that daily fulfillment in. We're finding that daily satisfaction in, that daily direction in. And so he was calling them back to this daily acknowledgement of who God is and what God had done. And for us, church, that is so, so, so important for our relationship to God through Jesus Christ to remember and to be reminded about. Because remember, we talk about all the time, thank God that his mercies are new every day, right? Thank God that his mercies are new every day. But unless we're engaging in the relationship, leaning into the unbroken fellowship of our creator daily, then the thing we forget is that his mercies are new every day. And that the thing that we know about ourselves is daily we sin. Daily we fall short. Daily we find reasons to bury ourselves under shame and guilt of our own issues, right? Our own things we struggle through. And so if we're not engaging with God daily, what we're going to find ourselves is digging ourselves into a pit of our own shame, of our own guilt, of our own mess. 
and not being reminded of the mercies of God. So if nothing else, coming back to God daily, that unbroken fellowship with our creator reminds us of his mercy. That as we navigate a relationship with God, he reminds us, listen, listen, you're not perfect, but I am. And that's why you come back to me. To lean into my goodness, to lean into my grace, to lean into my mercy. Because that's why Christ died for us. Christ died for us to have a rally point so that when we struggle through sin and shame and we're trying to navigate parenting, we're trying to navigate relationships, we're not trying to navigate work life as a Christian, trying to be what we know God wants us to be. Listen, we're not meant to do it on our own. We're meant to have this daily unbroken fellowship with our creator that we come back to that we engage with, that we see. You know, and that's why Christ is that for us. Once and for all, I love this verse in Hebrews 9, 26. For then he would have to had suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Talking about these daily sacrifices. He's talking about these daily sacrifices. But he says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all. That at the end of the age is to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That Jesus sacrificed himself to put away the shame of sin once and for all. To put away the weight of sin once and for all. And we forget that, right? When we're navigating our day-to-day in our Christian walk, man, it's so easy to forget what Christ has done. It's much easier to settle under the, the smothering nature of our shame than it is to, than to celebrate who Christ is and what Christ has done. You know, our natural inclination is to be very negative, right? Our natural inc- inclination is to settle. And the easiest place to settle is in our shame. It's much harder to climb out of a pit of our own shame and to find Christ at the end of it. That's why he calls us back to this daily relationship, this daily offering. He put away shame, uh, put away sin in our struggle, in our attempts to understand and pursue him. He is there daily. He is there daily. I love that. God called them back to a daily offering. Why? Because God is there daily. He's there daily. And the second offering is this in Numbers 28, 11 through 15. We see, I'm sorry, uh, 28 verses 9 through 10. We see a weekly offering in the sense of what they call the Sabbath, right? And if you've been around church long enough, you've heard, you've heard that word, the Sabbath, a lot of time applied to Sunday. Some people believe the Sabbath is on Saturday. Regardless, it's speaking of the seventh day, the seventh day. And it kind of mirrors the creation story back in Genesis, because what did God do on the seventh day? God rested. You know, and a lot of times in church spaces, we want to say, well, the Sabbath day is a day of rest, so I'm not doing anything. I'm napping, I'm sleeping. That's what that day means. Well, it's not quite what that means. But there is, a, there is an importance there of understanding the Sabbath does speak of rest. Because God rested on the seventh day, but there's something we have to understand. But, but a rest, this rest, because for, for God, that rest was to cap off something. Right. What had God done? God had just created the world. God had just created the universe. God had just created existence as we know it. And so to find that rest was to cap off. It was a celebration of being a number. The number seven being a number of finished work, of completion, of fullness. The focus wasn't so much on the rest. The focus was on the completion. The focus was on that something amazing had been done, that something was fulfilled. 
And so for us, because there are times in the Bible when Jesus was doing what on the Sabbath? What was Jesus doing? He was healing, right? He was doing things on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders are like, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Like, this is a rest day, bro. Like, take it easy. Like, settle back. But Jesus is like, man, you're missing the point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is completion. The Sabbath is fullness. The Sabbath is an understanding of what Christ has done. We take Sabbath. Listen, and this is for us in our, you know, the reason we come. And I love that this is weekly. You know, the, this is the weekly offering, talking about the Sabbath. And so let's say that we're not Seventh-day Adventists and we don't believe Sabbath is on Saturday. We're going to say Sabbath is on Sunday. So today we celebrate the Sabbath. And I don't know about you, but coming to church is work sometimes, right? Because it's hard. If, if the Sabbath was all about rest and sleep and relaxing, then I would say, hey, stay at home. Read in your leisure, right? We'll watch it online in your pajamas. But that's not what Sabbath is about. Sabbath is about celebration of completion. We gather here this morning. The value of gathering as believers, the value of coming together in this space with other people who are just as broken and messed up as we are, is a celebration of completion. And what is that celebration of completion about? The fact that we don't have our own Sabbath. We have not done enough to accomplish our own Sabbath. But who has? Because Christ is our Sabbath. We rest in Him. We rest in His work. We rest in His finished work on behalf of sinful man. We rest in what He's done. That's the only reason we can ever come here on the Sabbath and celebrate the Sabbath is because Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our rest. Christ is, is our foundation. He is the finished work. He is the fullness of all things. The completion of all things are found in Him. That it's not based on my work. My work will never find Sabbath. My work will never find completion because I don't know about you, but if I analyze myself enough, listen, yesterday, Saturday, we had a, a football game. Man, great work up to the Super Bowl. I'm like, man, we get there and what do we do? We lose. And so what do I do last night? You know, I think to myself, oh, it's over. Like, man, I'm relaxed. Like, you know, we can be done. I'm constantly going over what I would have done different. You know, what, what we would have done. What play would we have called differently? Where would I put this person? I can always nitpick my decisions. And all of us, our work will always be faulty to a certain extent. Everything we do, my parenting will be faulty. I make sure my boys know that all the time. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm, we're figuring it out, right? I'm just sorry that you're at the, 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 the crux of it. You know, it, we're, everything we do is going to be, my, my, me being a husband to my wife is going to be faulty to a certain extent. It will never be complete. It will never be full. But that's why in all of those things in my Christian space, in my Christian walk, at work, whatever I'm doing, that I find my fullness, my completion in Christ as my Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. And so that's why we gather. That's, I love that this is the weekly offering. And so we come here as our weekly offering to celebrate Christ as our Sabbath, as our rest as the one that we celebrate, the completed work of Christ, our work has ceased because Christ is our Sabbath. As far as our work for our salvation, our work for acceptance for God has ceased because Christ is our Sabbath. We wear His goodness now. We wear His righteousness. And from that, 
we react and respond. And that's why they were making a, a weekly offering. And listen, there's no moral law connected. There's no moral instruction with the Sabbath. We aren't called to abide by the Sabbath as they were. But we are called to celebrate the Sabbath as a remembrance and a, as a joy of what Christ is and how he works in the midst of that. And so that's why it's important and valuable that we're here together. That's why it's so important that we're here together on a weekly basis to worship and celebrate the Sabbath, Christ, on our behalf. You know, because all of this, it points of a completion that keeps us engaged with our spiritual progression. And so that's why we come. It points us to the completion of Christ to engage us in our spiritual progression. The Sabbath rest. So the next one, not only is there this weekly Sabbath offering, but then the third one is a monthly offering. And the word used to describe this here is an offering that speaks of a routine. Of a routine. Because, you know, if, if, with, with the month, and their months were a little bit different than ours, a little longer than ours. But, you know, with a month, that's a long period of time in between those two things. And so I, I love how it speaks of the word for this particular offering speaks of a routine because it takes commitment, right? It takes diligence. Now, a week isn't quite as long. Like that's fresh on our minds from week to week. But on a month, you know, that, that, that more space in between that it takes Diligence, right? It takes a routine. And so I love that part of this offering speaks of this routine of doing something monthly, doing something to implement this show of discipline and commitment and engagement. Listen, our our Christian walk requires that to see growth and progression and building up. It requires this sense of commitment, this sense of, uh, of, of diligence and discipline to keep moving forward because everything in our life wants to combat our discipline towards Jesus. Everything else in our life is combating with us, kind of fighting for control of our commitment, of our discipline. Listen, there's a lot of things that we're very disciplined towards, right? I'm disciplined to show up to work on time, right? I'm committed to that. You know, I'm committed to that. And I know that if I don't, then, then I'm not going to get paid or there's going to be repercussions for that. And so there's, there's commitments that we have within our lives. And then there's other things, lesser things, even than our jobs. And where we can fall short sometimes is in the midst of our fighting off and kind of navigating all the commitments and the disciplines that we have. Is, is really acknowledging and understanding like where is our wor- which discipline is our worship going to? Like what discipline, what commitment is gaining the best of me? You know, what, what, what commitment is, is taking the most from me? My attention my finances, my time, whatever it is. You know, and so that's why this monthly offering speak, being spoken of as kind of routine of diligence. Because with Christ, when we're navigating our Christian life, we have to be instituting this plan, this active plan to combat the other things fighting for our commitment, fighting for our worship, fighting for our discipline. And continue to place. And I love how it's progressive. You know, it's, it's the daily and then it's the weekly and then it's the monthly. Because all of these things, they build off of each other. The daily offering, the daily engagement helps us get to the weekly where we're celebrating the Sabbath. And then moving to the next one, the monthly. Speaking of routine. You know, carrying on all of these things, they work diligently together. 
And so then from that, from the daily, then the weekly, then the monthly moves into a a yearly celebration. And we won't mention all of the yearly celebrations. We'll just mention a few here. But in Numbers 28, verse 16, we see the beginning of them speaking of. And it says, on the 14th day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. And so we see this, this word that we've talked about as we've navigated the book of Numbers is the word Passover. And so remember, Passover is referencing Exodus chapter 12 with the last plague where God gave instructions. He said, slaughter the lamb, put the, put the blood on the doorpost, and as death passes by, judgment passes by, if there is blood on the doorpost, then it will move on. It'll move, it'll pass your home, it'll pass your space because of that blood that was spilled and, and, and the representation there. And so they were being called yearly to celebrate the Passover. And this Passover was a celebration of redemption, right? It was a celebration of an act. You know, and the word redemption is an act of being saved. And so in this moment, they're celebrating their salvation from death. The, from their firstborn being, being, uh, falling into the judgment of death. And so they're celebrating this and they're, they're, God is telling them that every year need, you need to have a commemoration and, and a celebration about what God did for you in the Passover in the sense of that He redeemed you from death. He provided a way for you to have life. You know, and we celebrate this when we take communion with, when we, with Christ. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, the, the, uh, the John the Baptist, he says this about Jesus. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just like the people during the Passover, they, they had the Lamb they had to be slaughtered. The blood smeared on the, the doorposts. Death, the judgment would pass by. Christ was that Passover lamb for us. Christ was that Passover lamb for us. That he took the sins of the world. That he provided redemption. He provided a way for us to be rescued. He provided a way for us to be saved because of salvation in him. Because of the saving work and in in his blood being spilled. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7 he says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Because in this Passover offering, he also says seven days shall be unleavened bread. And that unleavened bread was a representation of the holiness, of the being set apart, being different. You know, sin being removed. And that's what Christ has done for us. Not that our goodness has removed the, the effects of sin or has helped judgment pass us by, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so he was calling them to this yearly celebration of celebrating the redemption of Christ on our behalf. And for them, for God's redemption on the Passover when he saved them from death in Egypt. And so the application for that for us is remembering, entering in these rhythms of life for us where we are celebrating the redeeming work of Christ. What he has done for us who he has been for us and how he has worked on our behalf. And so then, you know, I want to kind of close it like this as we kind of lightly touch on three feasts that these these last three yearly feasts, you know, as you read this, and I really encourage you to go back and read Numbers 28 and 29. There's a lot of details there. And so as we read that, we can get caught up in the details 
of what has to be done, which day. But the thing we have to remember in this, as we read Numbers 28 and 29, in our own personal lives, as we navigate our spiritual walk and our spiritual relationship, as we come to church, as we participate in worship, as we participate in the reading of God's word, as we confess, as we repent, as we serve our community, as we do all these things, we have to remember the overall purpose of the offerings here, of anything that God calls us to in obedience, is the maintenance of the covenant relationship with God. The rescuing God that we serve. The loving God that we serve. And I love these last three feasts. I really believe can be a huge kind of sense of direction for us as we navigate our Christian life, as we grow, as we develop, and as we move forward. And the worship team can go ahead and start to come up as we prepare to worship together here at the end. But these three last feasts that are listed in uh, Numbers 29, the first one being the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. And so the purpose of this feast was ten days of reflection. Ten days of reflection, ten days of fasting. And and fasting is an intentional neglect, right? And intentionally putting our own needs aside, putting our own desires aside. And so they would spend this time once a year celebrating and kind of navigating this feast feast of trumpets, these these days of reflection. And, And within this fasting, this personal neglect, and I think there's something very unique about this because what it's foreshadowing is another use of trumpets. You know, right after this, as they enter into the promised land, Joshua leading the people into the promised land, we see another use of trumpets. And what is it? As they're circling the walls of Jericho. Remember, God tells them, he says, you're going to circle the walls of Jericho. And on that last day, you're going to blow the trumpets. And what's going to happen? When you blow the trumpets, the walls will what? Crash down. And that you will begin to defeat the enemies that you need to defeat to move into the promises of God. And so... This use of trumpets and this reflection and this fasting is meant to remind the people and foreshadow for the people that God is in control, that God is fighting the battles, that God is breaking down the walls to make way to the promises that He's promised to His people. And so for us, as we seek to build up our own personal, spiritual lives, that we would always have spaces of reflection, that we would always have spaces of fasting, personal neglect, putting our own needs aside to remind us that God is the God. And even in this, in, in Numbers 29, he tells them that this will be the time you blow your trumpets. And, we, you know, in, in the book of Joshua, like, how are trumpets bringing down walls? The trumpets had nothing to do with it. The trumpets brought attention to what God was doing. And so for us, as we reflect constantly on who God is, we neglect ourselves the things we think we need, we begin to be reminded of who God is and what God does and that God is the one breaking down the walls in your life to lead you to the promises that He has for you. And then the second yearly one is this near at the end in 29. He talks about the offering of the Day of Atonement or the Feast of Atonement. And this speaks of repentance. So the first one about reflection, this one speaks of repentance. And what atonement is, and is an atonement is an exchanging of places, right? And Christ has been that for us, right? Christ has atoned for us. He has stood in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved. And so, you know, because of the, the nature and the power of sin, there always had to be bloodshed. There had to be bloodshed. 
They had to require life for the forgiveness of sins. And so their offerings all included and included shedding of blood. Sheep and 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 you know rams and bulls and like all these animals, all this blood. But then Christ, once and for all, fulfilled what the law, what the offerings never could. Christ did it for you and me. He atoned for us. He stood in the gap for us. He stood in our place. And so not only do we reflect, but church, that we would begin to enter rhythms of repentance into our life. We're saying, God, we need you. We need you to stand in our place. We need you to provide. We need you to lead. And then the last one was a feast of tabernacles. And what this feast speaks of is it speaks of relocation. God providing direction and placement for His people. Because that's what God's promises entails. God's promises include relocation. And that for every single one of us, our eternal location is determined not by ourselves, but by what Christ has done for us. And by our ability to put our faith in Him to provide what only He can do. Because when we believe in Christ for His atonement, for His saving work, then our our eternal location is relocated. And that's what God was doing for them in this feast that they would celebrate in the relocation, that God took us from one place of wandering to another place of celebration in His promises. This is what Jesus does for us. And when we celebrate the relocation of what God is doing for us, that God is moving us out of the spaces of old into the spaces of new, that He's providing for us, that He's helping us, that He's carrying us, He's providing for us in a way that we can provide for ourselves. And in the midst of this, on this same day in the temple, priests would go down to a particular pool, a place that people could get fresh water. They could get, you know, they, they, they could go and they could drink this fresh water. And on the day of the Feast of Tabernacles in the New Testament, this is a place where Jesus would heal a blind man. That he would go to this place. And on this day, during this feast, that Jesus would proclaim at the temple, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Let him come to me. The well that will never run dry. Let him come to me. Christ is our space of relocation. He is where we move to. He is where we go. And so then I want us to just see this. You know, and all that is given up, God provided through it all. You know, for a year, all of these offerings, all of these things, for a year, it would be 113 bulls, 32 rams, 1,086 sheep in a year. And one of the things that's mentioned over and over and over again is grain. Grain is mentioned in all of the offerings. And the thing we have to remember is that they're navigating a wilderness, which is a desolate place. Grain would have been hard to come by. So can you imagine how valuable grain would have been for them to have? And in every offering, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, they all included grain offerings. grain offering is more costly and precious to the people. So giving a grain offering for them would have meant complete dependence on God to provide their needs each day. 
church, and Christ does this for us. God has provided for their needs. He provides for our needs. He fulfilled the law in Matthew 5, 17, that we are no longer have to do the sacrifices that the Old Testament said. But for us, if the grain offering is similar to our offering of worship, then our consideration is this, and then I'll end. How much does our worship today cost us? What does it cost us to be here today? What does it cost us to live as a Christian in the spaces that we navigate today? What does it cost us? You know, because it should. For them, a grain offering was costly. For us, what does it cost us? Maybe it costs us some sleep, right? Maybe it costs us some time. Maybe it costs us some money. Maybe it costs us some resources. Maybe it costs us some comfort. But even, even adding up and all those things, they're nothing, right? They're nothing compared to what Christ has offered for us. What Christ has given for us and to us. You know, I posted an article yesterday that just really spoke to me. And it's speaking of church attendance, you know, and, and I've never wanted to, I'm not like the attendance police. Like there are things that come up and people do things, but there's something to say, especially in light of what we've talked about this morning, there's something to say about putting ourselves out, being inconvenienced. You know, I, I, I loved, I loved this where it said, getting to church is hard, but that's part of the value of attending church every Sunday. It sets the tone for Christians' daily struggle to live in personal relationship with Christ. And then, then I'll end with this here. It says, if you feel inadequate to lead your kids spiritually, go to church. If, you stra- if strategizing about your Christian parenting feels overly complicated, go to church. If you've been taking a few too many Sundays off, just go. If all of this seems overwhelmingly overwhelmingly difficult, ask God to give you the grace to have this consistent discipline in your family's life. Faithful church attendance can have an eternal influence on our children. And all of these offerings that God was instituting them to do was to help create rhythms that would ripple through every generation. Listen, we can encounter God at home. That's not the point. You can encounter God at home, but there's something about putting ourselves out, you know, especially having a nine o'clock service. There's something about getting up early, in the cold, getting dressed, showing up, that is creating rhythms of worship, not only in my life, but in the lives of our children, in the lives of the people that we engage with on a day-to-day basis, in the people that we go to work with, the people that we do recreational things with. Like they're, they're, it's creating rhythms that influence people, that motivate people, that change people. And that's what we're called to be and do. So church, can we, can we pray together? Can you stand with me and we'll pray together and then we'll worship God this morning in the midst of all the offerings that we make and the worship that we give. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you. God, we thank you that in all of these offerings and all that we do, it's all meant to remind us about who you are and what you do for your people. God, we know that in all our brokenness, we could not be or do all that we need to be and do. God, we thank you that all of these things, they're not just to be religious duties. God, they're not just to be things to keep us busy. 
But God, these are things that remind us and create rhythms of worship in our lives to help us know who you are, know what you've done, and know what you continue to do for your people. God, we are desperately broken people in need of your rescuing, of your saving. God, and help us to know that in the day to day, the week to week, the month to month, the year to year, and all that you call us to do, Lord, all of these things are meant to just bring our attention to where you are and you are here with us. You are in the midst of your people. You are in the midst of our biggest messes, God, and you are in the the midst of our greatest joys. God, let us see you for who you are and what you do. God, let us push away all the distraction. Let us push away the shame and guilt. God, and let us lean in to who you are and what you do in our lives. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name.